You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Our next speaker is going to talk about understanding zakat. What is the underlying philosophy of zakat? And our next speaker is Iqbal Nasim. He's the CEO of the National Zakat Foundation. He has a background in uh, investment uh, banking. And the National Zakat Foundation is quite unique in many ways because it primarily focuses on delivering zakat in the UK. And as a community, we would be known to traditionally give zakat abroad. But what, what the uh, National Zakat Foundation are doing is they're focusing on poverty uh, and the needs within the, the host community. So, uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, Iqbal Nasim to the podium. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. You can hear me clearly? Okay, great. I don't have a PowerPoint because uh, I have a phobia of PowerPoint. I think it uh, distracts uh, the attention and it uh, reduces interaction. So, and also because I'm lazy, so I don't get to put together the slides. So we're going to, inshallah, just interact with each other and consider, we have an hour, I, I believe. What time do I need to finish? Just 2.15? Uh, 20 minutes and then uh, 20 what? minutes Q&A. Sort of. Okay. All right. So in, in the order of things, everything's being cut down, cut down, cut down. Okay. So I'll try and talk for no more than 20 minutes if I can, although I've been known to find that quite difficult. Uh, and then inshallah, we'll have some Q&A uh, afterwards. Uh, the purpose of the session today is for me to share with you what for me has been a journey over the last six years in trying to understand what Zakat is actually all about. So I, uh, after working in finance for about five years, I, started, I became the first staff member actually of National Zakat Foundation at the end of 2011. And so for the last, coming up to six years now, I've been running, alhamdulillah, the organization. And especially I would say in the last couple of years, there's been an intense process of uh, discovery, uh, research, thinking, consultation about uh, the subject of zakat itself. Because when we talk about zakat, we all know, if we were to say anything about zakat, we will say it's a pillar of Islam, it's an obligation. And if it's so important, then one of the critical things for us to keep doing or to keep thinking about is, is, that, is that if this is a divine institution that, has been, that we have been commanded to uh, put in place, then the question for us is, are we doing it in the way that the divine being would like us to be doing that? Okay, we have to effectively search the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to find out that in our time, in our place, given all of the factors that are around us in the community and the society that we live in, are we putting this pillar in place in the way that it should be being put in place? And to summarize, the, the conclusions I have come to, or some of the conclusions I've come to so far, is that actually the vast majority of understanding and practice about zakah is actually looking in the wrong direction. So I'm hoping that, inshallah, over the next uh, uh, sort of few minutes as we go through this, that it will get us to think a little bit more meaningfully and deep, uh, deeply about this subject, inshallah, and maybe question some of the long-held assumptions that we have about the topic of zakah. When we say zakah is a pillar of Islam, and that is basically what this, uh, this 20 minutes is going to focus on, just this sentence, zakah is a pillar of Islam, what exactly do we mean? What do we mean? Explain this uh, statement. I will open it up. I was told to make it interactive, and because it uh, saves me uh, some time as well, I will open it up to you and get you to think. I think what pillar means is that in the foundation of Islamic values, what the word pillar translates to me personally in this context is 
Right, okay. So, foundation of Islamic values, the brother mentioned. Where is the word pillar mentioned anyway? But where does that come from? Where, does, where is pillar even? Is that from Quran? Is it from a hadith? Can you, can you think of a hadith that mentions this or a Quranic verse that mentions the notion of pillar? The foundation of Islam? Say again? Okay, great. So that's one. That's one place. But the word pillar is not mentioned in the hadith. The pro, in this uh, hadith, which is a very famous hadith, of course, one of the, if you like, um, most foundational uh, narrations uh, in Islam, where Jibril alayhi comes and asks the Prophet Among the first thing he says, "Tell me, akhbirni anil Islam. Tell me about Islam." And then in this hadith, it's very interesting, actually. You help me now make another point, which is that the Prophet sallallahu here says, "Islam is." Uh, the Shahada, Salah, Zakat, etc. He said, Islam is the five pillars. And in another hadith, where this notion of pillar derives from, but is not explicitly mentioned, the Prophet said, al-Islamu ala khams. That Islam is built upon five. Yeah? And so because there's an, and it just says five, and then it says, and then it mentions the five. But the word pillar is not used. What's interesting is that, that because the analogy of a building is used, basically, as if Islam or the house of Islam is built upon, okay, or is held up by five. Okay? But interestingly, even with a house, for a, for a house to fully function and to fully operate, it's not just the foundations that are required, there's all sorts of things that are required, right? But the Prophet is indicating here that there's a building to be done, meaning it gives it an idea that there's an effort and um, striving to take place, and that things have to happen in a certain order, and that these five are critical for this thing called Islam to be, to be there. Okay. But what I wanted to just I, the reason I wanted to mention that was just to actually uh, get us to think a little bit more creatively around this notion of pillar. Because one of the problems of the word pillar, when we think about it, is that, you know, sometimes you will have all seen the image where basically the pillars of Islam are represented almost like one of those ancient Greek temples. Yeah, where basically you have the five pillars, you know, separate to each other. You have the little triangle on the top and a little base at the bottom. And now this is it. This is Islam, you know, made in a nice meme and we share it on WhatsApp and, and we all get happy. Right? But the problem with that is, is of course, in that construction, if you were to remove one of the pillars, say you remove the middle one, which happens to be zakah, the building will probably still stand in that construction. So it's all, and also what it does, it doesn't give you any sense of the way in which these different pillars interact with each other, the interplay between them. Now, before we even come to explaining a little bit more in detail about this notion, and we have to start here, see, in order to understand zakah properly, you have, to, you have to understand these other bits. Because we say zakah is a pillar of Islam, we've talked a little bit about this notion of pillar, but then we also have to think about the word Islam. Okay, and now you're thinking, oh my God, like, why are we talking about Islam? We all know what Islam is. But when we say zakah is a pillar of Islam, let's actually now translate this sentence a bit more carefully. Islam, we know what Islam is, that it is the full submission, devotion, commitment to the creator of all things and, and everything. And all human beings and everything else that exists. And in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the nature of the relationship of all things to him using this word Islam. Everything in the heavens and the earth submits to God. And he talks about the fitrah. The fitrah is Islam. Okay? The pattern of Allah upon which he has fashioned all people. And in a, in a dua that the Prophet used to say, he used to say, Asbahna ala fitratil Islam. We have come into the morning on the pattern of Islam. 
Now, what's interesting is, is that basically everything in existence, and the last time I checked Wikipedia, the observable universe was 91 billion light years across. So all of this stuff islams to Allah, submits to Allah. And then there are some things, okay, there are humans and there are jinn, and maybe there's other things as well, who knows, but from what we know, there are humans and jinn who are the only ones who have volition as to whether they too will Islam to Allah, submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have this choice. Are we going to fall in line with basically the pattern of everything else that exists? Right? And it's interesting that in the verse when Allah says, we have not sent you a Muhammad except as a mercy lil alameen. Some say this means for all people, but obviously if you understand alameen in the context of everything that exists, in what sense was the Prophet ﷺ a mercy to everything that exists, the galaxies and the planets and all of this stuff? Maybe in a sense, okay, that if the, if the entire of, entirety of creation could be represented as a mosaic with all its tiles in place, and there's this one tile that represents human beings and human, the human kind of relationship to Allah, but actually we've, and, and where we have basically gone out of sync with how we should be, just as the artist would look at this uh, uh, mosaic, for example, and notice the deficiency in the one tile that makes the whole thing look a bit off, Right? Then what would you try to try and repair that tile so it falls in line with everything else? And it is in that sense you can understand that the Prophet is a mercy, not just to the human beings to whom he is sent, but everything else, because it makes the entirety of creation fall in line. Now why am I spending time looking at this? Because Zakah is a pillar of that. Zakah is a pillar of that. Or, if you want to translate the hadith more carefully, Islam, now, submission, full commitment, full devotion to God, is built upon or depends upon, needs, requires these five things. So if you turn it around the other way, without those five things in place, Islam doesn't really happen. Now when we think about this hadith, we think about the pillars or these uh, obligatory core acts on a very individual and personal basis. So we think of it in the context of my Islam, me being Muslim. I need to say, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, I need to pray, I need to give zakah, I need to fast, I need to do hajj. Right? But in the, in the divine wisdom, it is not just each individual's being Muslim that is the point here. It is also this phenomenon called Islam. Because the hadith didn't say, Bunya al-Muslimu ala khams, the Muslim is built on five. No, Islam, the phenomenon, this phenomenon of submission to Allah is built upon five. So therefore, in order for us to have, and as Muslims, Okay, as Muslims, I was just reading actually Surah Al-Furqan, the end of Surah Al-Furqan, the, uh, the characteristics of the servants of the Most Merciful. The very last characteristics is those who say, Our Lord, make our spouses and our offspring the coolness of our eyes, and make us leaders for the righteous, for those mindful of Allah. The once a believer, the last characteristic, so once a believer embodies all of the characteristics of a believer, their function is to do what then? To be a source of God consciousness in the society in which they live. Okay, we are like vessels of light, to receive the light from the light of the heavens and the earth, and then to illuminate the society around us. Right? So our function as Muslims is not just to be Muslim, but to spread Islam. Now when we say spread Islam, then people go into these ideas of da'wah and street, uh, you know, da'wah and leaflets, and etc. Et et Leave all that uh, specific notions aside. Just look at the general thing here. Right? That our, our objective is to take the baton on from the Prophet ﷺ and righteous people since to do what they did, which is to do what? Which was basically convey to people through word and through practice the, the single most important thing that they need to know and to deal with the single biggest problem on planet Earth, which is not poverty, by the way, which is not social injustice, which is not any of these other things, 
These are all consequences of the single biggest problem on planet Earth, which is lack of knowledge about the Creator. Lack of the knowledge or forgetfulness of the human being, or where they come from or where they're going. That's the biggest problem on the planet Earth. And zakah is a way to deal with that problem. But then, if that's the case, how does that work? Where is that working? How is that actually happening anywhere? Where is it that our zakah is actually contributing to more Islam on earth? That the phenomenon of submissions of human beings to God is actually now happening in either in quantity or in quality, increasing as a result of our zakah. Because that's what it should achieve, right? That's what it should achieve. If you now just go through the pillars, we'll start to understand and get a bit of a picture as to what, how this is all working through. The first pillar we talk about being the shahada. Now the problem we're saying, and this illustrates the problem of putting these pillars side by side like this, as if they're not interconnected, is that the shahada is Islam. Islam is the shahada. La ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah encompasses everything. So in a sense, to kind of put it over here and then the salam zakat kind of over here to the side doesn't even make any sense. Because la ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah encompasses everything. Our first function is to be, okay, or to, to, to bear witness. But then we understand that again often on a very personal kind of technical individual basis. Oh, the brother took the shahada, he became a Muslim, or the, the lady took the shahada, she became Muslim. But the shahada is an ongoing thing. That in order for Islam to be upheld, we all need to be all the time bearing witness through our deed and action to the truths of La ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah. And as we deepen in our understanding of La ilaha illa it gives us more perspective as people. And as we deepen in our understanding of Muhammad Rasulullah, it deepens our wisdom. Right? And we understand how to behave and how to be in society. Now, it is the shahada or our ability to bear witness to this truth in society where we live that is in turn resourced by salah and zakah. About 30 times in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions salah and zakah together in all sorts of contexts. But basically, if you look at it, and very interestingly, it's not just in the context of uh, us now as Muslims since the Prophet Sallallahu and this is the other thing we failed, we sometimes haven't often internalized about the notion of being Muslim, that being Muslim didn't start with Muhammad coming. Being Muslim was, was always the way, right? From the beginning, Ibrahim was Muslim, Every, you know, all the Prophets were Muslim. And Jesus in the, in the, uh, in the uh, cradle, quote-unquote, or as a, as a baby, when he speaks in the Quran, says what? About what Allah says. وَأَوْصَانِي بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالزَّكَاةِ مَا دُنْتُ that Allah has enjoyed upon me salah and zakah for as long as I am alive. Right? Allah encompasses the role of all prophets in Suratul Anbiya that we made them leaders guiding by our command, inspiring them towards good works and towards the establishment of prayer and the giving of zakah. And they were true worshippers to us. The function of prophets was to do what? Establish salah and zakah in society. Because all of them there were to establish Islam. In Surah Al-Bayna, short surah, which many of us will know, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهُ مُخْلِسِينَ وَالْبِنَ حُنَفَاءَ وَيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَيُقْضُوا الزَّكَاةَ Look at the words, very strong and very important words. They were not commanded except to worship God, sincerely devoting their practices to Him as upright monotheists and to establish prayer and give zakah. وَذَلِكَ دِينُ الْقَيِّمَةَ That is the upright religion. When he says they were not commanded except to, Clearly, there's more than the first three pillars. But what Allah is indicating here, and in so many other verses, and in so many ahadith, is that if you get shahada, salah, and zakah right, everything else will fall into place. But if you miss them out, don't expect anything else to fall into place. And what we have done is miss them out. How have we missed them out? When we do the salah, what are we doing? Connecting to the divine to reinforce and strengthen our sense of the shahada. Right? 
we should be a, uh, a, a stronger, more confident, more relaxed, a bearer of witness to, uh, to God in society as a result of our salah. It's like putting your phone on charge. That's exactly what salah is, putting your phone on charge. Right? Oftentimes, unfortunately, we plug it in, but we don't put the switch on. There's no electricity, no khushru, so salah doesn't have the impact that it should. Right? But that's another story, and we can go on to that topic another time in the Salah Conference, uh, inshallah, organized by Umar Sheikh and the UK Islamic Finance Council. But, okay, when it comes to zakah, zakah now should actually fulfill the same function. Now, I'll ask you a question. How does zakah fulfill its function as a pillar of Islam? Through the payment or through the distribution? Okay, who agrees with the brother? Through the payment. By paying zakah, Zakah becomes a pillar of Islam. The, the objective of Zakah is uh, achieved. You, you agree? But you don't agree, brother. Huh? You think distribution? Okay, put your hand now. You have to take a view, right, guys? Come on. Yeah, take a view. Either through payment or distribution. Who says through payment? Put your hand up. This is very. Uh, I thought the Scots you know, had some fire in the building. What's going on? Yeah, through distribution. All right, so we had a majority for distribution, mashallah, which surely must be correct. Yeah, think about it, right? If every Muslim in this country paid zakah, if every Muslim paid zakah, right, and it was all of the payments ended up in one place and then it just didn't go anywhere else, it didn't go anywhere. As far as Islam, the phenomenon, remember, is concerned, as far as more submission to God on earth taking place, what would have been achieved? Nothing. Did those individuals, as individuals, to the extent that they could, based on the knowledge that they had, assuming that they thought it was going to be done X, Y, Z, yes, did they fulfill it? I'm not talking about their individual accountability. Right? I'm just talking about the function, the earthly function of this thing called zakah and what it's trying to achieve. Right? It happens through the distribution. Now, where in, in the Quran does Allah give us guidance about the distribution of zakah? In one verse. All over the Quran, pay zakah, pay zakah, pay zakah, pay zakah, pay zakah. But one verse... For all times and places, for all Muslim communities, no matter meaning if you are an empire halfway around the world, or if you're a small uh, village, right, or in our setting as a Muslim minority community in the, in the United Kingdom, okay, in the quote-unquote Western world, right, the same verse to give us guidance as to where this, how this zakah is supposed to be administered. Right? And remember now that the purpose of the distribution is what? Is so that not for poverty to be alleviated, not for wealth to be purified, not just so as an individual, I can tick the box and say I paid this obligatory charity because zakah is not charity. But because Islam as a result okay, should thrive, should prosper, should succeed. This is the only way, my friends, to understand the, in any way how zakah can be a pillar of Islam, how Islam is built upon five, and this is one of those five. Right? And so what we need to now look at is to say... Look at the eight categories of zakah distribution. Allah mentions uh, chapter 9 verse 60. Okay, and unfortunately, it's a sad fact that most Muslims don't know the eight categories of zakah distribution. I would hazard a guess that most of us here would not know what they are, reel them off one by one. It's a, you know, a pillar of Islam, basic kind of information as to where, the, where zakah should be going. Right? And Allah says, إِنَّمَا الصَّدَقَاتُ لِلْفَقَرَاءِ وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْعَامِلِينَ عَلَيْهَا وَالْمَؤْلَفَةِ قُلُوبُهُمْ وَفِي الرِّقَابِ وَالْغَارِمِينَ وَفِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَابْنِ السَّبِيلِ So Allah says that these funds go to these eight categories. And then he says, this is ordained by God and he is the most knowing, the most wise. So there is knowledge and wisdom. Allah refers to his attributes of knowledge and wisdom after having mentioned these eight categories. Okay. So these eight categories between them now take care of the concerns that a Muslim community or let's say the Muslim zakah payers or contributors 
would have as far as Islam is concerned in the society in which they live. Al-Fuqara, the poor. Okay? So why do you spend on the poor to alleviate poverty? So that the absolute basics, the poor, you know, the poor is, uh, of, the, of, the, of those who are in poverty are taken care of. But why do you do that principally? Not just out of some you know, secular, philanthropic, humanitarian concern. Yeah? Fundamentally, as far as zakah is concerned, as a pillar of Islam, the way to think about it is almost a little bit like the way a welfare budget of, of a government. The government doesn't administer welfare based on an, uh, an individual kind of uh, sort of um, uh, philanthropic humanitarian concern for each individual who is in, in difficulty and poverty, but rather to establish a sense of social justice in the country in which they're in and for their ideology and whatever they stand for to be promoted and to succeed. Because obviously if you're trying to promote something but half your society is falling apart in poverty, it's not going to go very far. Uh, although they seem to be succeeding quite well at the moment in terms of, uh, you know, unfortunately, us being quite unaware of these things happening right uh, under our noses. But anyway, let's leave that aside. No politics just yet. Right? So, fuqara, the, po the poor. Al-masakeen, okay, those, those who are in need. So what's this difference between fuqara and masakeen? You help the fuqara to alleviate poverty. You help the masakeen who are just about managing to economically empower them. Right? So they don't just go from, like, complete... You go from absolute destitution to a minimum baseline where you're just about managing. And then from just about managing, you are supported in a way so that you, have a, so that you can actually be economically self-sufficient. And then the third is the administrators, the bureaucracy, or on a macro level, basically like your civil service in a way. Right? You're those who on behalf of the group of Muslims administer in the collection and as well as the strategic distribution of zakah. Fourth, very interesting. Okay, those whose hearts are to be reconciled. Okay, those whose hearts are to be won over. It's one of the most disputed categories of zakah. Scholars wrote so many things about this from the beginning until now. Okay, some say from everything from now, it no longer applies to it can be used on all sorts of different things. But if you just look in principle at what's being trying to said here, a community of believers who have come together, just imagine now if we're the only Muslims here in Scotland, okay, and we've come together, we just got to know each other, all right, and we're trying to, we're trying to live and establish subservience to God in Scotland. Yeah, which is what we're supposed to be doing, right? Because there's, not much, you know, there's, there's nothing else really worthwhile to be doing in, in this world, as far as I can tell, right? So you'd come together, you, we would pray together, we would pool our funds, our zakah funds together, we would appoint some among, we would check, are there any fuqara amongst us? Anybody absolutely destitute, homeless, take care of them. Anybody who needs support in terms of being economically empowered, take care of them. Okay, now let's appoint three, four, five of us, for example, to administer these affairs on behalf of all of us on a regular basis. And the fourth thing, after having done that is, Find out whose hearts need to be won over. So I'm not going to go into this in detail, but think about what that might mean, based on the objectives of what you're trying to achieve. Right? Those whose hearts are, well, how do you spend money in such a way that those outside of you view you in ways that are positive, they incline towards you, and ideally in such a way that they too, inshallah, can see this invitation of Islam in the way that it should be seen. Then we fir riqab al-gharimin, to emancipate slaves and to deal with those people who are in debt. Okay. Here, to summarize, what are we basically looking at? Two things. Why do you emancipate slaves? For, for equality of opportunity and equal citizenship within a society. Why do you alleviate or there to alleviate debt from people? So that they are not uh, weighed down by financial constraints. And so that lending amongst people can take place in the knowledge that, if necessary, there is a central pot that they can actually come and deal with indebtedness. So it encourages lending between people. Wafi sabilillah wa bin sabil. The last two. Wafi sabilillah. It just means in, God, in God's path, right? And people, classically, this was understood to mean as defense. 
So now this community is doing all of these things. Sometimes those who are outside the community, they don't wish well for you. So Allah is basically saying, resource yourself to defend yourself, basically. Right? And many, many uh, wrote over time that this also refers to not just external defense, but internal defense. So how does a Muslim community require internal defense? Actually by supporting scholarship and institutions of scholarship. Because the two, one of the two principal ways of civilizational decline is either an outside threat that basically takes them, takes them out, or moral decline within society. And zakah, if done properly, would lead to more and more prosperity within society, and that's when as the Prophet was worried for us on, uh, about this issue in terms of that wealth will come and it will enter our hearts and such, we will you know, become distracted. But you need scholars and scholarship and the scholarly institutions to help us keep abreast of and uh, to deal with the challenges of the time. And the last one, Ibn Sabil, which basically we classically referred to destitute travelers, but effectively refers to emergency situations when a person becomes temporarily disconnected from uh, access to funds. So an example might be in our setting, for example, the Grenfell situation. Right? Where people were, it was just a situation here, and all of a sudden, bang, you've got an emergency, right? And people are disconnected from their source of funds and everything. They need, they need that support. Now, there's tons of stuff to be said about all of the, what I've just mentioned. But what I do want to mention is this, is that we know, and when I started out in National Zakah Foundation, which has started on the premise which has continued on, that zakah should be paid locally, right? But I would say it's only after having explored all of this and gone over the last two years of, of thinking and research and consultation that we have as an organization, I've actually understood the issue, not just of why zakah should be paid locally, but almost why zakah must be paid locally, right? Zakah belongs where the zakah payers live, right? Zakah belongs where the zakah payers live, because the purpose of zakah is building Islam. And Allah does not expect you or me to build Islam outside of anywhere except that where we are, where we live. Now. Understandably, for all these reasons, I can completely empathize with and understand. Because as soon as you say this, people think, what about everyone else, everywhere else? Yeah, and of course, it's not, it's, I've, uh, this is the most common question I've faced over the last six years, so I, have a few, I do have a few thoughts on it, right? But you have to differentiate, my friends, between okay, a poverty alleviation anywhere in the world, right, as a thing to be, to be concerned with and to be doing something about, on the one hand, and our existential function, our, uh, you know, the reason, our reason for being in the first place, okay, which is submission to God and establishing that within ourselves, our families, and as the societies in which we live. What do we, I mean, and at the end of the day, it comes down to one of these important questions in terms of, you know, who's more in need? Yeah, we have become, as a, as, even as Muslims, we have come to view need in a very material way. In a very material way. Because as soon as this dunya is over, in about three minutes, that's what it's going to feel like when it is, right? Then who in, in the hereafter is in need now? Yeah? Who's in need? Is it the one okay, who is necessarily in poverty today anywhere in the world? Maybe, maybe not, depends on the circumstances. And for whom are we responsible? Or is it the one who is, is unaware about their Lord? Zakat is a pillar of Islam. By Zakat doing all of these things that it's doing within these categories, helping a Muslim community build, maintain, protect itself, flourish within society, right? Alongside the salah, salah and zakah go together. Okay, so it's like any other building or construction that you're making. You can't put some of the foundations in, take, leave some of them out, put, take some foundation, put them over over there somewhere. But when you put them over there, you're not actually bothered about the other foundations over there. So you're gonna build nothing here and build nothing there, right? There's a big, big difference between 
private charity where I wish to go, for example, build a well in Bangladesh, or I want to support uh, uh, people who are refugees who are coming out of Syria, or X, Y, Z, or any other cause around the world, right? In in what is often, and we let's be let's be let's be fair, right? In what is often completely well intentioned, I don't uh, wouldn't question that for one second, right? And I have given to those causes as well, and I still do. But you have to separate what is a reactionary, emotional, oftentimes, unfortunately, unstrategic form of, a desperate form of support, really. I mean, all everything that's going on in, quote-unquote, the Muslim world are symptoms of a, of a desperate situation, you know, just of, of Muslims everywhere. But the desperation that we're in oftentimes is because we've forgotten the basics of who we are, what we're doing, how we should, what, what we should be doing. I mean, for example, you know, um, as even in Muslim countries, zakah is not administered in any sense of what, in the line of most vast majority in any sense of what I'm talking about right now. Whereas classically, we know that Abu Bakr and Umar and, and the Khulafa, the, the role of collecting and administering zakah for the sake of the benefit of the believers okay, and for the future of Islam okay, in the communities and societies and locally done too, by the way, right, there's much precedent for that, was they saw as part and parcel of their role of stewardship over the Muslims. Right? So that's what that is. So zakah is closer to tax than it is to charity. And a, and a wonderful way to look at zakah, and I'll finish with this before we maybe open up for questions. A wonderful way to look at zakah, okay, in our context, is almost like membership fees. Yeah, because if you say like tax, yeah, then it's like, well, that's, that sounds like this and that. And, and there's a distinction made, obviously, in, in the law as well, in Islamic law, between zakah and tax, right? But it is more like tax in the sense that it's an obligation. It's not something that you should be get particularly emotional about as a taxpayer about in terms of where everything is going. You know as a taxpayer you're going to be helping people with operations that with, you know, to have accommodation and all the rest of it. When you pay tax, right, you pay it, you pay it dutifully. If you're, if you're a, you know, a kind of a loyal Scot, right, you pay your tax dutifully, you hope the government's going to do what it's going to do, but you entrust that to, a, to some sort of leadership that's going to collect money on behalf of a number of people and make decisions on behalf of you as citizens. Zakah similarly, that's how it always was administered. Classically speaking, originally, and obviously over the course of Islamic history, it kind of basically walled, uh, you know, upside down, and that's kind of where we are right now. But anyway, the point is, is that you get bring the money together, and then the leadership, through its, uh, through its, however it sees fit, administers the money for the benefit of those who are there. So membership fees is a nice analogy in our context because basically we all understand the notion of belonging to a club, right? So if you belong to a gym, right? I don't want to embarrass anybody if you don't, but right? If you, if you belong, if you belong to a gym. You pay your membership fees for this particular gym, right? You go there. Now, now, whoever's running this gym brings in the membership fees. And what's their function then? To invest in, you know, the gym, its services, its marketing, its what? For, for two reasons. Number one, so that the gym members have an excellent experience, achieve their objectives. And number two, so that they become more members over time. Yeah, and this gym can expand its branches, right? So you don't, we don't determine whether to put zakah in such and such a place because there's high or low levels of poverty as far as we're concerned. Because zakah is not just about poverty, we just established that. We establish where to give zakah, number one, based on where we are, and number two, its need should be established on the basis of to what extent is Islam flourishing here or not. And so frankly, if you have a community in which 95% of the population don't consider it the thing to be doing right now to submitting themselves to God and recognizing the Prophet of Muhammad, that's all the evidence that you need that zakah is required in a place. Because that's the function that zakah would actually end up fulfilling. So this is what I wanted to uh, finish with. I haven't said much about the organization, uh, National Zakah Foundation. 
but I can maybe bring that up in the Q&A, but it's based on some of these understandings and learnings that certainly in terms of our future journey now, uh, inshallah, in, the, in, the, in, in going forward, that some of the ways that we look at things, spend, etc., etc., okay, will 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 shift to try and reflect this understanding. Because now the the objective is not just alleviating poverty in the UK, which is what the vast majority of our work has been up until now, and still will, will remain, probably the bulk of our work for some time to come. But the objective is how do you spend money according to these categories and interpret these categories in our particular setting and context in the best interest of Islam and the Muslims in this country going forward. And in only in that sense, I would argue and contest, and I think. The scholars of Islam would agree, almost hands down, across, if, you re, if we were to read and examine their works, that this is the only sense in which the Zakaz of Islam can be truly understood. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.